0: This podcast is recorded on the traditional and unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh people. British Columbia, I've seen your mountains high. Seen your pretty rainbows and your blue crystal skies. Watched your winding rivers as they blow around the bend. To me, you're not a stranger, you'll always be a friend. Coming to you from the West Coast, this is Politicoast. Today is September 19th, 2019, and this is episode 156, the BC Politics Podcast. Tell us what you think of the show by leaving us a review or get at us on social media. Most importantly, help us build the show by throwing us a couple bucks a month at patreon.com slash Thank you to our new and long-time patrons for your support. Editing services are provided by Cortado Productions. I'm Scott Polenaboom.
1: And I'm Matthew Naylor.
0: On today's show, the unfolding scandal that has taken over the federal election, as well as a roundup of everything else that's happened in the past week.
1: Yeah, I I agreed to do this doubleheader before this story broke, so I'm so glad that I managed to squeeze that into my schedule. Uh, Also on the show, a rundown of the report of the provincial auditor that says that BC's legislature needs tighter expense rules.
0: Playcoast is in partnership with BC Today, British Columbia's daily newsletter, dedicated exclusively to BC politics. Sign up for a free trial to have unique coverage of the BC legislature delivered to your inbox every morning. Listeners to Playcoast, enter the offer code CITIZEN, all lowercase, for access to a special rate. For your free two-week trial, the newsletter, go to BritishColumbiaToday.ca. That, I think, about sums it up as we move into segment one. Uh, no, No clever title this week because it just doesn't feel right. No. With all that's happening here so to get right into it the big news that broke yesterday from time magazine of all places yeah and has managed
1: to make its way all around the world
0: uh is that there were several photos that have surfaced of prime minister justin trudeau in various forms of blackface yeah
1: so these are not recent photos i mean not that that really excuses very much but these photos are from at least a the, the original one that broke in Time Magazine is from around the period when uh, Justin Trudeau was a teacher at West Point Grey Academy, and he was dressing up for the Arabian Nights Gala. No one else at the gala was dressed up in brown face, but Justin uh, decided that it was in his apology. He says, sometimes I get way too into costumes, which, uh, honestly, I kind of believe.
0: <laughs> I, I think we've already seen that one with the India trip. Yeah. yeah. Which has also shed a new light on the India trip stuff, which did not expect that would resurface. But.
1: Yeah. He's just, it's one of those things where I, I do kind of make a distinction between malicious racism and stupid racism. And this is definitely stupid racism. It's still racist and harmful. Don't get me wrong.
0: Yeah. We should be very clarified about this. This isn't you know, just controversial or offensive it's racist. And, yeah,
1: it's racist and harmful to people. I I mean, it's quite a bit better that it happened in the spring of two thousand one than the fall of two thousand one, because in the fall of two thousand one it would have been a hate crime. But uh the it's bad either way. Yeah. I don't
0: think that really actually makes it any better.
1: No, it nothing makes this better. It's just that it makes it not worse. <laughs> the there was also a photo of him, I think on a roller coaster, I couldn't really... Wearing, like, a afro wig and in full blackface.
0: Oh, uh, so that it one looked... came out later that night. Um, Hooray! Uh, which, for the timeline here, so this made sense. This story broke. Trudeau finally addressed the press on his plane. And afterwards, wasn't entirely sure what, how many times he'd be in blackface. Uh, when asked by the press... He said that there was one other time he knew of, which already that's a bad qualifier when we're talking about this. So shortly afterwards it came out. There's another one from when he was a teenager in a talent show singing Deo. Uh,
1: I mean, I'm just really thankful that for my grade seven production of You Can't Take It With You, in which I was playing a character, which in the original text was uh, the black butler Donald my school decided to not uh, have race-reflective makeup uh, on it and uh, and just decided to... I mean, I, I know that the character was still black because there were a bunch of references to Porgy and Bess, but I was just me. And I think that was what was appropriate at the Arabian Nights Gala. Justin, I'm so furious. I'm just, like, this is just shy of being disqualifying for me and had the other parties not diverge so much from my philosophical and policy goals I would find it very difficult and indeed I'm going to have a kind of gross pit in my stomach when I do cast my ballot for my liberal candidate but ugh, it's just I, I think that yes
0: yeah, sums up the I think general mood of national disgust but then overnight or early this morning it was, there was another instance that had broached Uh, Global News had gotten a copy of a video that also showed Trudeau in blackface. Uh, So bringing the total up to three. And a little earlier today, La Presse reported that the Liberals are expecting more to come out.
1: Great. I haven't seen the third video. I've only seen the roller coaster and the Arabian Nights gala. Uh, I really wasn't impressed with the slight implication that the Liberal spokesperson was hinting at during their presser when they were suggesting that maybe he was painted blue uh because was
0: that the the liberals actually suggested
1: i th- it was sort of an intimation it, uh, like i think the idea was that like oh is that genie he thing? was painted as the genie but i i don't think that was the case and i think they should be ashamed of themselves for even intimating
0: it, it, it well, if that was true that would have just been the statement from the start was He was, I was blue a yeah <laughs> The fact that they had to insinuate that means it's bullshit.
1: Yeah. So, let's let's give a rundown of the fantastic responses of the other party leaders. Starting with, of course, Andrew Scheer, who was, what, shocked and disappointed? Was yeah. That?
0: Yeah. Uh, I can't quite recall if he called for the Prime Minister's resignation, but he's done it so many times now I've lost count. But, yeah, <sighs> the, the shot. suddenly really concerned about... Racism in Canada. Yeah, I mean, which is being a little disconcerted, just how quickly people are jumping on this who don't care any other time.
1: Yeah, Uh, Jagmeet Singh, whose opinion I I actually uh, care about the most of all the party leaders on this, seeing as how he has a a particular history of experiencing this type of racism firsthand.
0: He put out a really, I think, heartfelt and like video. Not really addressing Trudeau directly, but more towards all the Canadians who have felt th- uh, this sort of racism personally and telling them that, you know, they're cared for, people are there to support them. And I thought it was actually quite a powerful statement he put out.
1: Well, that, that is something that he has managed to do, like, well. I, I think it was actually one of the things that he was very talented at during his leadership campaign is managing to take hurt feelings and instances where people are feeling, like, particular s- type of racial animus and deflect and and actually channel that into a positive form. Elizabeth May, moving on to the Green Party, uh, the federal leader, Elizabeth May, responded.
0: She responded with a statement condemning it, calling it, I believe, inappropriate, about what you'd expect from a political leader in this situation. A rational,
1: I... normal response, as opposed to the provincial leader of the Green Party, who...
0: Uh, went with... Let he who is without sin cast the first stone as his Uh, first take on this? Which which he tweeted out last
1: night. Which makes me think there's a picture out there of Andrew Weaver in blackface. But he said... He he definitely was not
0: reading the room right on that one. Yeah, he said, we've all done stupid things
1: in high school. And I want to, like, remind Andrew Weaver that... He wasn't in high school, he was in a high school. He was a teacher. He was a teacher. Which,
0: it would have been inappropriate as a student. It is way worse when a teacher does it.
1: Yeah. Uh, So the response has been a a round of condemnations uh, of this behavior from uh, basically every segment of Canadian society, uh, in particular communities of color.
0: Less so from Quebec. Uh, A bunch of Quebec politicians came out today with... Is it really racist, though? I mean, it's probably not appropriate. Ha- the, the condemnation hasn't been as universal as I would like. No. no, no, no nor, nor from is- Bernier, too, who... Oh yeah, I, to... no, no.
1: I assume that Maxine Bernier just endorsed Justin Trudeau. At that well, point
0: well, he because... he put out probably the most carefully worded statement of anyone here, trying to not offend his base while also denouncing it.
1: There is such a generational divide on this one because I think that a lot of boomers just don't see this as a problem because they were raised in uh, an era where minstrelsy was still like pretty widely practiced
0: i think the bbc was doing minstrel shows up until the like mid-70s or something
1: yeah and you know michael geller paragon of the bc political pungent corps uh, apparently was attending a party that five women apparently showed up independently dressed as aunt jemima racist absolutely not Oh, wait. That, that
0: was his quote on it. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, it absolutely was. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But they don't... It's like the, the boomer-blinder syndrome. It's just like, what? My actions ruined the world? And then there's the next generation down, Gen X, which is like, oh, oh, whoops. Uh, which I think largely sums up the Prime Minister's response to this whole thing. And, and not that millennials are particularly a non-racist group of people, but uh, I think the condemnation has been wider and more unadulterated in its con- uh, you know, negative reaction to Justin Trudeau, which now we can move into what is the effect of this on the election. Yeah. Now that we've covered the, is it bad, which I think... Uh, is what most media should have been doing uh, rather than how will this affect the election as the first thing? now we can move into it. Will it affect the election, Scott?
0: Probably Well, yes, how much so I think is still up in the air and like, its undoubtedly don't affect the election. Uh, more I think definitely more so now than my initial thoughts on it when there was just one photo now that 's it's established itself as it's kind of a repeated pattern behavior, and there's hints that there might be more dropping. I think this is going to have a lot more staying power. Whether it has four weeks of staying power, and the topic of conversation will change between now and October, it's hard to say.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure that it has the staying power that I, I think some people might think it does, in part because we're pretty inoculated from racism because we are bombarded with it all the time there's
0: uh, also that, that it's hard to keep a media story going without new stuff yeah. So if we keep getting more of these pictures coming out then yeah we'll definitely continue on but it's hard to for the media to generate much conversation about something when nothing has happened in three weeks
1: yeah, I think it's like, one, a function of we're all like living in a systemically racist society, uh, and so I, I don't know how much people are going to be able to keep up their initial thoughts and outrage over the the thing. Two, I don't think the media is, is going to be able to do that either. Three, it is going to be a race through the opposition files, like the oppo files, to find any candidate, and basically besmirch anyone who has ever done anything uh, close to this. Uh, And and that, of course, has started already with information dropping about a conservative candidate attending a Christmas party, basically, where a a Dutch character, Zwarte Piet, uh, was like, there were like eight of them.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So this was conservative candidate from out in Lee to Mary Janssen, and it's alleged that she participated on it, although it's not... There's been some back and forth on whether or not she actually put on the blackface or not. But yeah, there's a... uh, In the Dutch Christmas tradition, uh, you don't have Santa Claus, you have Sinterklaas, who's similar, comes up from Spain to distribute candy and whatnot, and in the tradition has a Moorish helper Mm. and um, Black Peter, Zwarte in Dutch. And as the traditional celebrations happen in the Netherlands a lot of people dress up in as Zwarte Piet, including with the blackface on. And it appears that that tradition has made its way to Canada in some Dutch communities here, which is not great.
1: Uh, we are a true cultural mosaic.
0: So th- this is <laughs> controversial over in Europe too, that they're starting to slowly phase it out, though not nearly enough. And actually, the Dutch Prime Minister has also done blackface as Zwarte Piet, so... But there has not been nearly the pushback there, so you can tell they're not quite as far along on that one. So that came out today, I think landed with a bit of a thud, just because everyone's attention was on the Prime Minister.
1: Yeah. This is going to be a problem primarily in terms of turnout, in my opinion. Uh, The big change in the 2015 election was that Justin Trudeau was able to activate a large swath of people who were not voters in the prior elections. Many of those people were first-time voters. Uh, who were eligible for the first time to vote, who had come of age between the 2011 and 2015 elections. Millennials will be the largest voting bloc in Canada this time around. Uh, Whether they outvote the boomers, uh, who are the second largest voting population, is going to be an open question because this is going to, in my opinion, you know, as a professional pundit... uh, (laughs) Going to turn off millennials way more than it does uh, an older generation.
0: Yeah. So some of the conversation yesterday was, "Will this help Andrew Scheer? And in that sense, probably not, because you're going to see a lot of defections from people who would have voted liberal now go into the conservatives. But yeah, that's not that's not li- a
1: reaction that someone who is offended by the the this particular behavior is going to have naturally. I yeah, think.
0: Yeah, but the conservative vote is a. Pr- has a pretty solid turnout, regardless of the goings on in the election. So even if the same number of people show up to vote conservative, if the liberal turnout gets depressed by this, it will help the conservatives.
1: So why are we only hearing about this now? And why in time?
0: Yeah, so that's, those are kind of the two other big questions that emerged from this is, well, this was in a yearbook. This should not have been hard to find. It's Kind of like the classic thing that people start their OPPO research on is checking the yearbooks.
1: Yeah. It's and what,
0: pass them, you know, where people worked and all of that stuff. And both of those chatbots would have found this one. They looked there. So that's odd, especially now that the two other things have popped up within a day. So it's... Someone were, was with,
1: sitting on these.
0: Yeah. Actually, it did turn out that the uh, video that Global put out, they had, I believe, gotten that earlier in the week and were uh, working to verify.
1: Oh, All right, so it was going to be a bad time all around this week for JT.
0: So, yeah, that. but there's a question here. Is Justin Trudeau became a member of parliament in 2008, I think?
1: Yeah, he ran in Papineau in 2008. In 2008. Which, of course, leads to the fantastic Beaverton headline, Liberals Fail to Vet Montreal Candidate. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But... Yeah, he, he has been in public life for some time. These photos have been out there during that entire time and were a good deal more recent in 2008 than they are in 2019. Yeah, so there was
0: 2008. That didn't pop up in the election there, either in the vetting or uh, any of the opposition. Especially since he
1: was running against a, uh, a black candidate in that riding, uh, Vivienne Barbeau was the Block MP at the time.
0: Right. So his president didn't come up then. Then though it's the leadership race. Well, there's an intervening election, the leadership race he won, the last election. If this had come out during that one, I mean, it by no means guaranteed that Stephen Harper would still be prime minister, but it would have definitely improved his odds significantly. So why the hell didn't the conservatives find it then, or the NDP for that matter?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, it's an interesting counterfactual to, to ponder is like, would this have have uh, halted the conservative tailspin that occurred in the, the final week and a half of the campaign after the barbaric cultural practices hotline was announced?
0: Might have actually ended up just saving Mulcair's ass, but...
1: Yeah, that's true. It held the Liberals to a minority and...
0: Maybe even would have led to the eventual long-term collapse of the Liberal Party. But those are yeah, all various counterfactuals. The point is, that there was a lot of incentive to find it throughout the years on this one. And it's weird that it ha- didn't come up until now.
1: I'm very curious as to who got paid for this. M- mostly because I'm wondering why... I- I'm assuming it would have been offered to Post Media and... and- why they decided to pass on it, and if so, was it related to Elections Canada's like speech restriction laws? Probably not. I don't think so. But
0: I don't think they're that relevant to what to media coverage.
1: No, but like there, there is a kind of
0: like I guess like opposition research could be an in kind contribution maybe, but like it's
1: like I, I'm wondering why. Again, why now? why time
0: yeah that, that that's one of the confusing bits in the time article though they do mention that several people they contacted at the uh, West Point Dry Academy, which we should mention is a very swanky private school mm-hmm. here uh declined to comment on it, citing you know loyalty to Justin Trudeau, and there was definitely a sense read in the article that there was a closing range around the school
1: yeah, uh, especially since this apparently was a annual gala. Uh, not that anyone else was wearing brown face at that particular event, but unfortunately this has become an international news story, and gods I love it when Canada makes the news internationally, it's always because we're doing something great.
0: Uh, so I saw earlier today that this was in fact the top trending story worldwide.
1: Yeah, fantastic. When, when you mentioned that you saw it was the, the number one story on, on uh, a Dutch newspaper that you were checking, I, I decided to go check my Norwegian news source, and it wasn't on the front page, but it is a major story uh, in the world news section with the photo just blasting across everything, and it doesn't paint us in the best No, light. it's
0: definitely not the Canada's back that we were promised.
1: no. But if we are going to be talking about what people around the world are talking about, let's segue into something that, like, was roughly that quote. People around the world are dying to do vote, uh, followed by an appendation to that quote by Rick Mercer, conservative.
0: It's quite the segue there. Yeah. That might be like the best segue we've had. So far. It's a
1: couple backflips and uh, double lets. All right. I've 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 done gymnastic figure skating, and we have now arrived uh, at another local riding controversy uh, in Burnaby, North Seymour.
0: Yeah, so this is the uh, riding that's currently held by Terry Beach. Uh, it's one of the more competitive ridings in the Lower Mainland here. And the local riding association for the Conservative Party put out on their Facebook page a picture of Rick Mercer with a famous quote of his. About uh, how people need to get out there and vote. And then at the end of it, added their own little content of vote conservative.
1: Yeah. Uh, So
0: Rick Mercer was clearly not happy about this.
1: No, he was not. And contacted the National Conservative campaign, who said, We don't know what Burnaby North Seymour is doing on their Twitter feed. Uh, Apparently, the Burnaby North Seymour uh, Conservative writing association twitter is run by their president who is a woman who was talking about how all the g7 leaders were bullying bolsonaro uh because apparently burning down the rainforest is fantastic but
0: yes a couple uh questionable
1: questionable tweets from that that
0: yeah uh, a couple of reporters died into i think it was actually her facebook page not her twitter account
1: oh no i found her twitter account oh okay yeah no it's
0: i i only saw the people it's a real piece of work okay yeah, there, there's some hella questionable memes and content on there. And, yeah, Pierce, she's uh, just kind of running the uh, writing association social media accounts, just kind of all on her own.
1: Yeah, and you it's... can't do that because, like, misrepresenting people, it's v- very inappropriate. Like, it's a lie. You, you shouldn't do that. And the conservative candidate, I don't know if he's disavowed this. Actually, uh, she... She, I don't know if she's disavowed this. Well, it would
0: be hard to say because she hasn't done any media for over a month now. Oh. Yeah, it, it's bizarre. Also, that's, when, a,
1: that's a winnable riding for the conservatives. Like, they, they thought they a were going vote
0: split, to... Yeah, they and like, yeah, it's... I, I don't know what's going on here. When um one of the uh, local star reporters here went to check out their campaign office in the middle of the day, on a Tuesday, I think it was, yeah, found it was deserted, like no one was there, like... I don't know, there's some weird stuff going on with the conservative campaign in Burnaby North Seymour.
1: Finally, for major election points, Maxim Bernier, who we all know and love, has Been invited to join the National Commission's leaders' debates, adding a little bit of boast, dairy to the already spicy mix that we are no doubt going to be treated to.
0: Yeah, so this was, I think, pretty widely condemned all around. I mean, the People's Party people were obviously happy about it, but by and large, I think there was a lot of pushback on why is someone who's never won election under that party's banner has only his own seat doesn't poll very well, gets a couple points nationally, will be lucky to kind of hold his own riding. Why is he getting up there on the national stage?
1: Well, it is a troubling thing. There is some precedent for it. There,
0: Elizabeth May got on the leader's debate before she'd ever won a seat.
1: Yes. Uh, but the, the Green Party
0: had actually uh, pulled a lot better too and had established itself more than the People's Party at that point.
1: Well, I, I think the criteria that the the CRTC and the the commission were working off of was, do they have a seat in parliament? And like the People's Party undoubtedly meets that standard because yay, floor car- crossing. But that also is what got Elizabeth May in the 2008 leaders debates when, because of course Blair Wilson crossed the floor immediately after being expelled from the Liberal caucus for massive campaign spending violations.
0: So among the people condemning this choice was Andrew Shear. Uh, accusing the Liberals of rigging the game by setting up this commission. It should be pointed out, though, that the head of this commission is former Governor-General David Johnson, who it was a Harper appointment as a Governor-General. So, you know, not exactly a Liberal partisan, if there ever was one.
1: No, especially since Johnston was the lawyer who wrote the opinion that effectively allowed prorogation in 2008-9.
0: Yeah, so that was one hell of a stretch, but... When you think about the fact that the Conservative Party's long-term interest is keeping the People's Party out of politics. And also
1: Canada's long-term interest, might I add. but that,
0: that too. But I don't think that's the reason Andrew is all worked up about it. No. It's that they don't want to have a viable party on their flank. And they will say any ridiculous thing to try and have that be the case.
1: Well, from a platform for Bernier to the platforms of the parties, uh, the announcements are coming fast and furious from our major parties, so why don't we give a quick rundown of some of the major promises that the parties have promulgated recently.
0: Yeah, so this was actually going to be the main segment when I was planning this out earlier in the week, with a whole thing about why the election was so boring and that nobody was paying attention that obviously has changed, but let's go through them anyway.
1: Yep. Liberals. Um,
0: yeah, so on last week's episode, we talked about their announcement on the home buyers plan, so we won't be covering that now, uh, but they kind of made three big announcements over the past week. Boosting the Canada child benefit, increasing old age security by 10% for people over 75, as well as increasing Canada pension plan survivor benefits, and making maternity and paternity leave benefits tax-free. So a lot of pocketbook sort of stuff, more money being spent on seniors and new parents, which I guess are the key voting demographics.
1: Yeah, it's a very, like, middle class income earning targeted... Uh... Not,
0: not so much OAS, but the, the rest of No,
1: that. no, no, for for sure not OAS, but the, the Canada Child Benefit and the maternity paternity benefits. Like, anytime you... And we can talk about this a little bit with the Conservatives as well, but like, anytime a tax benefit comes in, it's targeted at people who are earning income that make tax and not actually, you know, a poverty reduction measure or something like that. Uh, Moving along to the Conservatives, a transit tax credit.
0: Yeah, so this is actually a promise to revive the old transit tax credit, which was cancelled a couple years ago by one of the Liberal budgets. The reviews of the past one were not good basically nobody used it because used you had to like it. save your receipts and it was a very small amount of money it was only for people who bought monthly passes yeah and, and, i was one of those I, before i was i i yeah i i i'll admit like i would didn't qualify for it then i i would now like i pff, actually i'm not sure if there's an income cutoff but regardless it wasn't very effective and the thing about transit is to get people to use transit, the problem is not how much the fare is or whether or not you can reduce it a little bit. This goes for both the Conservatives and their trans- transit tax credit and for the people who want to make transits free. Mm-hmm. Spend the transit money on building better transit. Yes. If you actually want to get people to do it.
1: It's, it's very much like a baseball diamond in a cornfield. If you build it, they will come. Cuts it, to the bottom income tax bracket.
0: So this was announced as the universal tax Cut or universal tax credit initially, and there's a bunch of back and forth on. Yeah, so before we had something significant to talk about, a early a good chunk of this week was arguing about whether cut in the bottom tax bracket was truly universal or not. Like I said, the the first couple weeks of this election were horribly boring. Yep. Um, So like, if you're done, take care
1: of that real quick.
0: Yeah, in the worst possible way, but. If you're gonna t- cut taxes, this is probably a fairly good way to do it because it's yeah it's it's the le- least regressive way to do it where where you're having a broad, tax cut, it's still probably not as good as increasing the working income tax benefit. But but it'll it'll make everyone happy because everybody gets a little money out of it. Yes. Except the people who don't work enough to pay taxes. But that's, that's not that's really, clearly not their target demographic.
1: Yeah, Andrew Shearer's big big base amongst that that demographic. And of course, increasing RESP contributions by government from twenty percent to thirty percent.
0: And this once, is once again middle class. Yep, going after. Not much to say on that beyond.
1: It's it's probably actually pretty good policy, but
0: I haven't seen like any kind of breakdown on it. So, uh, next stuff is they promise to cut one and a half billion dollars in corporate welfare. Not really super clear on the specifics of that one, what corporate welfare is going to be cut.
1: What they're defining as corporate welfare. Whether it's
0: only going to be direct contributions or the kind of big regulatory corporate welfare that, say, makes dairy producers, for example, very much more wealthier than they would be otherwise. Probably
1: not that one. Probably not that one. For some reason, both the Liberals and the Conservatives have... Decided to stand shoulder to shoulder uh, in favor of dairy producers and against, of course, people wanting to buy their children milk
0: or cheese that doesn't cost an arm and leg.
1: Mm, I have, <laughs> I have participated in cheese smuggling before. <laughs> Every time I go down to the states, I'm, yeah, I'm admitting to. To evading customs, but it was many years ago, and I've never done it since. Uh, I buy a bunch of cheese, and I've always declared it, and I think a m- bunch of times I've been slightly over the limit, and the border guard is just like, I'm not, I'm not dealing with it's cheese duty. It's not worth duty. the paperwork. Yeah, I'm not dealing with cheese <laughs> duty today.
0: <laughs> and finally, for the Conservatives, uh, their promise promising tax credit for maternity and paternity leave, so, like the Liberals, but just less so. The NDP!
1: A billion dollars. One billion dollars for childcare. So, a lot of spending. Uh, yeah, I
0: need to work with the provinces on that. Yeah. It's standard NDP policy, not much to really add to it. Uh, they just kind of expected
1: a price cap on cell phone bills.
0: Also, one of those. Like, long-time NDP policies. Yeah. And, and, and honestly also,
1: it's just, like, the reason I don't vote NDP. It's like, I agree with what you're trying to do. Like, I would like to pay less money on my cell phone bill. I don't think that this is a very good way of bringing it about.
0: Yeah. Honestly, this might be one of the few positions where the NDP is less radical than I am, where I just think we should nationalize the fucking telecoms it's a natural that that
1: was a surprise like i
0: said it's one of the few areas the ndp is less radical than i am on because it's a natural monopoly it's one of those things where you just can't get good market competition in have the government build it run it it's probably not gonna be i it's not it can't be more expensive and it might make the government some money or drop cell phone bills so you hear that ndp and everyone else
1: Instead to buy built-in Canada electric vehicles.
0: Are there built-in Canada electric vehicles? I think there There might be. I thought that the one There's there the big... GM plant that was announced. They were going to close and...
1: I thought there was, like, one that, that like... Well, I think it just means manu- assembly here. Not... There was, like, a manufacturer that, like, left because it was so difficult to build... Uh, in Canada, so may- maybe... G-
0: GM announced they were closing one of their plants a uh, while Oh, no, no,
1: this is like seven years ago. It's oh, okay. like a, uh, they were a Quebec-based firm that...
0: There's a, start, there's a startup here on Vancouver that does electric cars too, but I mean, EV credits, probably good policy. The made-in-Canada bit... <sighs> Oh, well. Economic protectionism isn't great, but like it's the NDP. What do you expect?
1: Well, one thing that I I think is actually fantastic policy, uh, fund First Nations education at the same level as non-First Nations. What a good idea.
0: Why the hell aren't we doing it already?
1: Why indeed? Why indeed do we spend 50% of what we spend on every other Canadian on First Nations? It's almost like we're setting the system up so that... People are driven into a cycle of poverty. It's almost like we are perpetuating a system of systemic racism that is the natural successor to a horrible racist colonial state. This is the bare minimum that we should be doing. In fact, it is less than the bare minimum that we should be doing. This should already be policy. We should already be spending as much on infrastructure per capita on First Nations as we do on other Canadians. But we don't because of how federalism works and because we're bad. I have nothing more to say on the subject.
0: The Nets' promise, the NDP, is actually a raft of policies to give Quebec more autonomy over stuff like language and immigration, which Great. I, I don't think really squares well with the criticism the NDP has been making against Quebec and their recent policy moves around Bill 21. So this reads a bit like a transparent vote-buying maneuver.
1: Well, I have always suspected that the NDP is staunchly federalist, but the NPD, uh, perhaps a bit less so. Finally, dental coverage for households under $70,000 in income. I don't know why our mouth is the one part of our body that isn't covered by normal medicine. Oh,
0: uh, I believe it was because the dentists were better organized than the, the doctors. When oh. we were bringing in the National Canada Health Act. Yeah. yeah,
1: well that, that... Path
0: dependency is the answer, really.
1: All right, well that's a stupid reason, but hooray! <laughs> yeah, it,
0: it made sense. $70,000, I guess it's a cost-saving measure, but... yeah. Yeah, like, vision and dental, doesn't make, these weird bits we've left out of the Canada Health Act don't make a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, especially since, like, now, like, we really do need to start talking about Pharmacare because we, like, we used to have to have pretty regular surgery to correct ulcers. We don't have to do that anymore because we have an antibiotic that corrects them. But that's not covered. Finally, the Green Party. And... A very dumb promise to eliminate post-secondary tuition.
0: Yeah. So Speaking the evidence of
1: middle-class vote buying, by yeah. the
0: way. So the evidence on this one generally supports the idea that if you eliminate tuition, it's mostly that the benefits are mostly captured by the wealthier families. Yep. That the people who already have all the advantages regarding getting into post-secondary institutions.
1: Yeah. The, so, the appropriate amount of spending, or the appropriate way to direct spending if you're going to be paying for people's tuition, is to pay for people who are in the lower quartile of education, particularly those who have n- not had a parent go to post-secondary education. Because the number one determinant on whether someone attends a post-secondary institution is whether their parent has attended a post-secondary institution.
0: Uh, additionally, the Green Party actually put out their full platform earlier this week, but We're saving going through that for a comparison episode a little later on, once the other parties have theirs out. That would have been a really nice segment. It was only that last little bit. Yeah. Unfortunately, we had to talk about the terribleness.
1: Well, for something a little lighter, (laughs) I guess, uh, the provincial auditor uh, has said that the B.C. legislature needs to tighten up their expense rules and
0: oversight. So this is one of those things that have come out of the, what feels like the saga that's lasted forever, but has only in fact been since last November, regarding the clerk, <laughs> I, I know.
1: Oh my god, like, I was so shocked when they, they, like, fired Craig James and... Gary Lenz. Gary Lenz, the clerk of the house, and the sergeant-at-arms, and...
0: Not just fire them, perp-wap them out.
1: Yeah, the, I mean, you could, you could be classier, uh... But as it turns out, there was quite a bit of uh, questionable expensing uh, going on.
0: Yes. And there've been claims <laughs> from wood splitter. Yes. Uh so this is yeah, a long continuation of that. Uh there were claims from Daryl Plekis and what is I think still the greatest quote in the last like decade of British Columbia politics about if you don't throw up he'll resign over the uh mismanagement of the legislature. We know a little bit more this week when the Auditor General, or a little bit more today actually, when the Auditor General released her report. Didn't see much vomiting though, so that promise is still being unfulfilled.
1: Well, I mean, I feel like this, we're just going to end up choking back our regurgitants until the next election uh, when it comes to Mr. Plekis. But in general, I think that spending in BC can be a little crazy. And, and, like, this isn't even improper spending. Like, this is is ministerial business. But, like, when I worked for uh, an MLA who was, at the time, Minister of Advanced Education, it it was a very silly thing that happened. They took a helicopter from Victoria uh, over to the mainland, presented an environmental award and then took a helicopter back to Victoria the same day. <laughs> and that that is, like, what? totally normal run-of-the-mill business in BC, but I'm just like, why? <laughs> everything everything that was going to be achieved by this, like, effort at environmentalism, like, whatever it was, unless it was like, oh, I've discovered carbon capture at storage at, like, energy-negative levels, uh was erased by those helicopter <laughs> yeah. rides.
0: So in a report, the Auditor General its um, a bunch of recommendations mostly around having good policies or following the policies that they do have. Uh, finds a bunch of irregularities. Spending wasn't properly approved. Claims were just left sitting there and didn't get properly put up the chain of bureaucracy, which is odd for a bureaucracy because they normally love that stuff. But overall, just found, yeah, a bunch of irregularities, bad policies and everything. Made a bunch of recommendations. Seems like Lampsey's going to follow through on those.
1: I mean, part of it is that the BC legislature has been so reticent to spend money on itself that it has put itself in this kind of position. Well, Uh,
0: it's also put itself in literal danger, too, because they've been putting off seismic upgrades forever.
1: Oh, I'm aware. I worked in the basement, the part that gets the most crushed. And... It's so, like, that one in particular is so galling because the politicians are there, like, a couple months of the year. And there are, there is legislative staff and political staff that are there all the time, and they are in danger. And the politicians are like, oh, I can't spend money on myself. You're not. You're endangering your staff when well, you refuse to spend money on the seismic upgrades. Yes, it will cost, like three billion dollars it's going to be outrageous but it's also like a jewel of architecture uh, an important heritage building I, and our seat of government
0: yeah not only that like, yeah if you have a giant earthquake the type that we're expecting here at some point not having everybody in the government die because the building collapsed on them just they were all in the house at the time would be a really good thing. It's going to make coordinating the disaster response a lot better if the premier is still alive. Yes. And his deputies.
1: Yes. And the ministers. Yes. And the staff. Yes. Especially the staff. <laughs> there, there are times when <laughs> you're just you're driving around with the politician and, and they're they're <laughs> pull up somewhere and they turn to you and ask so where am I and why am I here? <laughs> but that is because the staff are incredibly important to the running of a government in advanced democracy. Like, if an economy as big as BC's, we have a lot to do. And it would be really great if everyone uh, in our hour of need had not been crushed by some very elegant rubble mm-hmm. and a giant copper dome.
0: But yeah, getting back to the auditor's report, this is a, just another one of the you know series of reports and revelations that are coming out regarding the whole wood splitter saga i guess has there been a name for this yet
1: uh i i don't think so i think the bc like i I think the speaker's office if anything has shown the best uh political management of this by like failing to get this scandal named (laughs) like quick wins by comparison was nothing this is like a big fucking deal uh, and I have no idea what to call it. Expense gates? But there's like expense gates, gates. all over the place. Yeah.
0: yeah. Also, we need to stop using "gate" as a suffix. Meaning? No, I like. Actually, it. Yeah. I, I think it's fantastic. You know what language evolves? Forget, forget <laughs> that. I I guess I'm going to keep calling it the Wood Splitter Saga.
1: The Wood Splitter Saga is pretty good. It sounds like uh, it sounds like a a book that would be up for a Giller Prize at some point, but <laughs> or one of the Canada Reads contenders. And now the Wood Splitter Saga. Speaking of sagas and uh, intrigue and other fucking crazy things happening uh, in the world of national intelligence, uh, Cameron Ortiz.
0: Yeah, so this is one of the top people at the RCMP who's arrested earlier this week. He's the head of
1: the intelligence division of the RCMP,
0: correct? Yeah, he was director of the organization's National Intelligence Coordination Center. And has access to a whole bunch of classified information. Not, not only, not only from us, yes, but from the rest of the Five Eyes. Yes, yeah, so you know, New Zealand's secrets could be
1: all the secrets of the Kiwis. <laughs> they may have been spilled out.
0: Admittedly, we may not have focused on the most important Five Eyes partner right there, but um, yeah. yeah,
1: the others, of course, being Britain, the United States. And Australia.
0: Yes. So, potentially, there's been compromise across the Five Eyes network. Uh, It's since come out that it looks like this was tied to a company actually here in BC that makes cell phones that are encrypted for criminal use. So, we're still kind of waiting to see exactly what comes out of that. But, yeah, this was a very high-profile arrest that's happened, and... The Brenda outfall Lucky. from this is still uncertain.
1: Yeah, Brenda Lucky's really going to need to like lean heavily into her name on this one because this is going to be a massive problem. And it's one of those things that like is one a national embarrassment. You know, speaking of a day of national embarrassments, um, but like in terms of operational security and the actual safety of Canadians, m- my thought is that like aside from people being racist towards each other, which continues to be a ever-present problem. This will compromise our relationship with our intelligence sharing network, uh, which could leave us vulnerable to actual violence and attack. It's catastrophic. It's so embarrassing when this kind of thing happens, and we need to figure out why this like this keeps happening. Part of my suspicion is that we like just don't do a very good job of vetting. Which
0: again, one would hope the RCMP has better resources than. The Liberal oh, Party. Oh, yes. <laughs> so he has been, you know, he's a, he's
1: a 47-year-old man from Abbotsford, and he uh, graduated from UBC with a PhD. He had a bunch of debt. He wasn't great with money, and it was apparently $90,000 in debt in 2013. The cybersecurity focus that he had led him to become uh, a, a high flyer in the Canadian y- Securities Establishment, not actually the Canadian Securities d- 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 Establishment, but d- 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 the... Yes. the RCMP securities branch. Subdivision yeah. branch.
0: Yeah, actually, it's quite interesting that he's risen really high for someone who's not actually in the RCMP, but was a civilian employee. Uh, and yeah, had access to a bunch of uh, operational data as well. So just a, it's a very big potential breach.
1: So, he has come to face seven charges, two criminal codes, and five from the uh, SOIA, which is the Security of Information Act. Uh, he faces, from the criminal code, breach of trust and unauthorized access of a computer, which is a part of the criminal code that I love. <laughs> but And then under Securities of Information Act, it, basically the charges that you would expect, uh, multiple counts under Section 14 going back as far as 2015 so it's not like this is a problem that is new it's however slightly heartening that the section 22 charge under the SOIA was related to preparing to do something so hopefully this was caught before the greatest amount of damage was done we unfortunately don't know the rest of the details <laughs> seeing as how this podcast doesn't have a investigative reporting arm but it, it yeah, is yeah no
0: we don't have the patron money yet However, if you'd like to support, <laughs>
1: visit us at Patreon.com/slash/politicoast.
0: Yes, that's going to be a very high-level tier. Yeah, before we launch that, but yeah, every little bit helps.
1: Chip in seven thousand dollars, one for each of the charges faced by Mr. Ortiz.
0: A uh, BC court has ruled that the province needs to revisit the uh, environmental assessment that it granted the Trans Mountain Pipeline Project, uh, specifically because the basis for that approval was the National Energy Board granting approval, and that got overturned in a different court case. It's no longer valid to be used for this, and the BC government has to go back and reassess based on the new National Energy Board findings. They did also stress that because pipelines are a national jurisdiction, they can't actually deny it, so they have to f- f- thread this, revisit it, but you can't actually substantively block the project when you do so.
1: Great. What what a non-story. Like, it, it's fantastic because the court has ordered the province to do the thing it did, but again. Yes. I'm sure Michelle Mongel, David Eby, and John Horgan will be delighted that they basically have to approve this pipeline. Again. Again. Well, it was Christy Clark who did it beforehand. Like, it was it was the twinned uh, structure that allowed it to go through the first time. And it's this repetition that the NDP is going to have to confront. Uh, and unfortunately, probably put them in a very uncomfortable position. Only time will tell.
0: Although, uh, now David Eby had to approve some stuff early in his term, too.
1: He had to approve some permitting related yeah. to it. Right. But he got in trouble... Because he said he that he had to follow the law as Attorney General. And that was apparently impolitic. Good God, what a week. Can we go? This is <laughs> terrible. What, this has been a bad news week.
0: It really has.
1: And, of course, by go, I mean head over to the Camby Report, which we are recording next in this very room. So check us out over there. Uh, always on the Camby Report feed. Scott is going to be guesting. Uh, just as I have been guesting here on Politico, this week, uh, as Ian is still on parental leave, and we are very excited about the very interesting goings-on uh, as Council ramps up for the fall.
0: Yeah, so do check that out. Uh, if people want to find you or the Cambie Report on social media, or else where would they check?
1: At Cambie Report, and you can find me at naylor Forex, and as always, at the Sarah Lehman Law Group, home of Spirits of the Law, which will be recording a new episode next week.
0: And that has been Playcoast, Find links to everything we talked about at playcoast.ca. If you're a first-time listener, make sure to subscribe and us know what you think. Support the show and get access to our exclusive Slack channel at patreon.com slash And if you have ideas for the show, feel free to send to us. Our intro music credit is Beautiful British Columbia by Sosha Potnikoff. Thanks nice for listening.